Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your hosts, Rick Lawrence and Becky Hodges, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, listeners. This is Season 2, Episode 12, brought to you by Lifetree at JesusCenteredLife.com. So, Becky and I are back in the saddle here. Say hi, Becky. Hello. I love telling people to say things I want them to say, and then they just do it without thinking. Hello. I'm very obedient. (laughs) So it's good to be back with you again today, and today we're going to... Oh, this is going to be a treat. We're, We're going to listen to an interview I did with Glenn Powell. I'll tell you who he is, more about who he is in just a second. Uh, But we're going to listen to an interview I did with Glenn Powell, and then Becky and I are going to, after that interview, talk a little bit about what stuck out to us in what Glenn says. So Glenn is a fascinating person. Likely you've never heard of him, but he was integral to the NIV translation of the Bible. He was in on the ground floor of that, and worked for Biblica for many, many years, and Biblica are, uh, is the organization that uh, created that translation and then partnered with Bible publishers around the world to get that translation out, and Glenn was sort of the heart and soul of that whole thing. He was the passionate core of that, and uh, now he has moved on to be the director of a new organization called the Institute for Bible Reading. It was sort of a part of Biblica for a long time, and now it's it's out on its own, and Glenn has followed it out on its own, and he's its director. So when I say Glenn Powell's the director of the Institute for Bible Reading, what kind of picture of this guy do you have in your head? <laughs> Is it a, you know, kind of an old grizzled guy who's pounding his Bible and pleading with people to read that Bible that's been sitting on their shelf? Scary. Yeah. Uh, or is it like the guy that you're about to meet? I can guarantee you this, you're about to hear some things that are really going to surprise you, coming from a guy who has lived his whole life and is intending to live the rest of his life getting people around the world to read the Bible. He's going to say some things that are going to really take you off guard and really surprise you. So uh, without uh, further ado, let's uh, let's get into uh, Glenn Powell. Oh, I do have to say, though, that the reason we're in relationship with Glenn in the first place, is that Biblica approached us uh, several years ago in their mission to get the Bible read around the world. They saw what was obvious, which is that more and more young people are not reading the Bible, and so they wanted to partner with us to see if we could help with that. And they have a version of the New Testament that is that is called a, a, a reader's version, basically. it's they've They've rejuggled the order of the books of the Bible to make them more natural. So the, the Gospel of John is, is, is uh, now adjacent to the letters that John wrote, and so forth. So they, they tried to make it—they uh, jumbled the order just a little bit. And they removed all of the um, first references, like, so that you're not—it you, reads more like a novel than your typical Bible, so you can kind of you you don't get jumbled up in like am I in verse eight or verse six and what does that have to do with what I'm reading right now? So right, yeah, they took out the chapters and verses, and so what we did was we we brainstormed and innovated and created for a long time until we arrived at an idea that we thought 
would be would work. And we created a, a version of this New Testament that is one of a kind. It's called Pierced. And what we did was we uh, we took their narrative version of the New Testament, and then we recruited teenagers from all over the country to send us their actual Bibles, and we copied their margin notes, their underlines, their highlights right out of their Bibles, and then we integrated them into Pierced, right where they originally were, so that you it kind of creates a communal reading feeling. You're reading the Bible alone, but you're reading it with the voices of others who are also deeply engaging what you're reading. So, for instance, in Romans, I just flipped open to Romans because there's a lot of of uh, margin notes that kids had in Romans. Here's one of them that's... Um, I can't even give you the chapter and verse because there aren't any in this, but in, in midstream in Romans, uh, someone wrote, "'Lord, thank you for your grace.'" I struggle so much with doing the wrong thing, even when I know it's wrong. I pray that you show me how to be more like you. And this is, I think this is uh, right at the, it must be at the end of Romans 8, where Paul is saying, I want to do good, uh, but instead I do the wrong thing, and the good thing I want to do, I don't do. So this student is interacting with that, engaging it at a very personal level, and then writing this note in the margin. So so uh, the people at Biblica loved what we did with this. It's a one-of-a-kind, unique thing, a way of engaging uh, the Bible in a kind of a communal friendship, relationship context. So again, that's called Pierced, and this is why we have a relationship with Glenn in the first place. I, I don't think I ever would have known him if we hadn't been thrown together in this. And we discovered we had a kindred passion, not just for the Bible, but for who the Bible points to. So let's uh, pick up the interview in midstream here and listen to Glenn, and then Becky and I will be back to talk about what we heard. We really want to be the instigator, you know, the catalyst for a global Bible reading revolution. We think that with the modern reference Bible, people have been discipled really into using the Bible as a reference book rather than thinking the first and most natural thing to do with the Bible is simply read it read whole books, feast on them, um, eat them, and, and start to put the books together to understand the story. And so this new approach to Bible reading starts with a new format. We're working with Tyndale now to do a new format in the NLT, a reader's edition. Other publishers have already caught the vision, and it's taking off. It's kind of going global. Just this week I saw a new Malayam edition in India. It's going to be a reader's edition. So it's continuing to grow, and, and we just want to work with anybody and everybody who wants to extend this Bible reading movement. So uh, I want to backtrack, and then we'll come back to this sure. place where you left us here. The backtrack is, uh, what, uh, you mentioned, I, I, I think, which is a very profound observation, that most of the research on Bible reading is just how open do you, how often do you crack it open, and it's not really getting at the meat of how people experience the Bible— what do you know right now about some of the encouraging and discouraging um, uh, facts around how people read the Bible today? Yes, it is. It is interesting. The um, you know, there's more access than ever, so it's very encouraging that more and more around the globe, people can get the Bible in a good translation in their language. The translation organizations have been doing a tremendous job of really increasing access and getting people a Bible. Um, version, electronic versions, has spread translation accessibility globally. So more and more people have, have good access to Bibles, I would say. 
Um, what's what's discouraging is what's actually happening after that fact. In the places where Bible access has been the easiest, multiple good English translations, for instance, in the United States, um, very difficult to get people to read it at length. Um, the Bible literacy testing that's been done, which is one of the things that has been tested, is just kind of literacy, basic knowledge of core Bible facts and information shows a pretty steady decline, you know, over the last decades. And so it's going down. We know that attitudes toward the Bible in younger people in particular are getting worse. Um, it used to be that people simply said, the Bible's a great book. It's the good book. I don't have the greatest respect for it, even if they didn't read it. What's, what's changing is that more and more younger people in particular are saying, well, I'm not even sure it's a good book. I'm not sure that it has anything relevant to say. In fact, it might be a negative book in our culture. Doesn't it advocate violence, mistreatment of women? And so negative views about the Bible are growing um, while knowledge, literacy continues to decline. And then on top of that, I think there's just a lot of evidence that in Bible formation, discipleship, we don't regularly teach people well how to read the Bible with understanding, so that we're struggling on that side of things. So we want to get better research as to what's actually happening for those decreasing numbers of people who are opening a Bible, and then that will help us craft new solutions to get people reading the Bible, living the Bible better with good understanding and with the knowledge of how to go from an ancient book to our modern world and do that with skill and understanding. Yeah, so and there's a there's a lot of assumptions made about the quote-unquote good old days yeah. when uh, the Bible was, you know, the way that you described it, you know, seen sort of universally as a respected thing, but it was also treated as sort of a talisman in your house or a mm -hmm. relic that you'd set in a bookshelf somewhere. It was good to have the holy book somewhere there in your house. So it's not necessarily true that in the good old days there was all this in-depth uh, engagement and understanding with the Bible, and, and you could make a case that... Uh, that this decline in the respect or the the thought that the Bible has good stuff in it is actually a positive engagement with what it actually is, as opposed to the thing that sits on your shelf. There's at least an acknowledgment that the Bible says stuff that I may or may not agree with, and it, it, so I, uh, it feels like maybe a mixed bag in that. So... I, it may be a good good way to kind of launch into the into the guts of this is to is to give kind of a, a short history of your passion for this. I know that this has been a super important thing for you for a long time. You've been kind of working tirelessly to create and innovate ways to help people reengage the Bible. Why? Where does this come from in you? Right, that's an interesting little backstory. It goes back to my early days at the International Bible Society, now renamed Biblica. And um, I had just been there a couple of years. I was uh, right about 30 years old, and George Barna came and spoke to a gathering that we had. And he said some nice things about our work globally in translation and things we're doing to, to distribute Bibles, and it's all good. And he said, but I have to tell you that there is a serious connection problem. And people have access to the Bibles. They own Bibles. Gave us the figures for how many Bibles there were in the average American home. 
And he said, but I have to tell you that people don't know what to do with it. It's a hard book for people. They're struggling to read it and understand it. More and more people are checking out of even engaging with the Bible, even if they do that with a sense of guilt, because they know that as a believer, it's supposed to be an important book in their life, but they just are struggling to do something good and useful with it. And so it was early in my time at International Bible Society, and I thought, wow, that's a fascinating take on thing. All I've really heard about here so far is translation work and distribution, getting more access. And I just kind of made a mental note to myself and said, I have no idea how long I'm going to work here, but if I'm here in 30 years, I don't want George Barnett Jr. coming back <laughs> and giving us the same story. Because the fact is, I had just recently transferred into the publishing division, and I was learning that it's not rocket science to sell Bibles. Bibles are the best-selling book every single year. So you can get people to buy Bibles. Most of them are given as gifts to somebody else. Not Many people are not buying a Bible for themselves. They're buying it to give to someone else. It's kind of, again, a talisman. Yes, exactly. And I thought, I'm just, whatever else I'm going to do here, I'm not going to just keep the wheels turning and, and make my salary and raise my family and, and have the same problem just persist. I thought, we have to start figuring out what do we do to get deep engagement with the Scriptures? We have to start tackling that problem, because having a Bible on someone's shelf right in front of them is not the end game. It's not what we're after. So I just started working on this problem from various angles. So so uh, kind of condensing uh, what I just heard you say, um, you're on this mission not because the business model is being threatened— for selling Bibles, because that business model can probably keep going for a while, as long as people keep seeing the Bible as a holy book that is a necessary relic to put in your home. That business model could take you through an entire career into retirement, but that's unsatisfying to you. That That's beside the point, in, in a way. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, the people in the Bible industry, I know them. I mean, we, we've partnered with, with most of those Bible publishers. Um, they're good people, and, and their core motivations are good. The fact is they're in, they're in a competitive environment that requires them to do certain things with the Bible as a commodity, as a certain kind of book. And, and the thing that they're evaluated on by either the owners of the company or the shareholders, if it's a for-profit, commonly-held company, is, is the numbers of sales at the end of the day. Nobody is really holding their feet to the fire on the issue of engagement. And I thought, okay, we, we have to just take this more seriously. This is, this is really why we went into this in the first place, is because you either believe or you don't believe that the Scriptures are a gift from God, meant to be a light for our past, meant to guide us in a certain kind of way, and He gave us a certain kind of book. He could have chosen to give us a completely different kind of book that matches the pattern that we've taught people to use it on, but that isn't the kind of book. He didn't give us a look-it-up answer book with, with references for answers to every question. I can't, I can't really go to the marriage patterns of the patriarchs and get all the advice I need for marriage in our contemporary world. That's not the kind of book God gave us. Um, it's a story. 
things change in the story as the story moves toward the light, especially the light of Jesus, who's the center of the story. And if we don't read the Bible that way, that, that, that the light grows, the revelation grows, gets more clear, and that we're invited into this world-transforming story that is a story on the way. It hasn't arrived yet. If we don't read the Bible that way, we're going to get wrong answers to all kinds of things, but yet that's how many people are taught to use the Bible and to think of it as this instruction manual, which really is what it's not. Yeah, and I've said many times and written many times that I've quoted Marshall McLuhan, who said the medium is the message, Mm. and you at Biblica, um, in your experimentation and your innovation, I think we're we're thinking in the right way about this, because uh, as the Bible uh, took on chapters and verses and footnotes and things, it has all the appearance of a medium, of the medium of a reference book. Mm-hmm. So, of course, the medium shapes the way that we see it, and so unconsciously we treat it as a reference book, and that's where you get proof texting and people teaching the Bible by using two verses out of context, or even if they're in context. You're not really pursuing the Bible as uh, a uh, narrative, disjointed as it may be with so many different authors written over such a long period of time, but it's still a narrative. And uh, so I, I'm thinking, even as you're, you're talking about this, Glenn, that there's a relationship we have with reading, let's say, reading about Jesus in the Bible, mm. and then there's a relationship we have in experiencing Him in everyday life. Jesus is not wholly contained within the pages of the Bible. He's living and active, and His Spirit is in us, but the, but the Bible holds a special place for us in, this, in the development of our relationship with us. So how do these two work together? How it, why is reading the Bible well and understanding it deeply important to our experiential relationship with Jesus on an everyday basis? Yeah, that's a great question. The way I like to think about that is that really what God is calling us to with the Bible is a life of biblical improvisation. And I think that's, that's really what he's doing. I think we see this modeled already in the New Testament. You see Paul sharing the gospel with Gentiles, going out into the Roman Empire, and what is he doing with them? But telling them about Jesus and inviting them into the story of God and his people that they were completely disconnected with before. They had no relationship with that Jewish story. But now Jesus has come, and there's a movement in the story from one tribe, one ethnic group, um, and going out. Now it's for all nations for the very first time. And so they're invited into this story with Jesus at the center, and they're called to know the Jewish scriptures. It's fascinating to see Paul writing letters to mixed congregations, Jews and Gentiles, primarily Gentile congregations, and he's loading it up with biblical references from the Jewish story in the Old Testament, and he's expecting them to know what he's talking about. It's very clear that he's expecting them to come to know the story that came before them and now to live out that story in a new setting through the Jesus lens. And so this is a great thing. I think it's a model for us to say we're in a different scene in the story. We're later. Jesus has come, that crucial climactic part of the story in Jesus and his ministry, that's reached its fulfillment. Now we're in this gospel spreading stage. We're later. We, we face different issues. We have different kinds of culture and, and big issues and questions in our day, but it's the same story. So what we have to do 
like a, a comedy improv person or a musician who's improving is we have to know what came before so well that we can fittingly, appropriately live out the story, the same story, the same dynamics, the same themes as the life of Jesus. We, we take those dynamics of the story, kind of the deep threads that persist as the story changes in its details, and we live that same story out of restoration, redemption, life with God. We live it in our new setting, but it's the same story. So we don't so much look up right answers in the Bible as that we come to know the story so well and where the story is going and what it's heading into that we can appropriately, fittingly live out our lives as kind of, I like to think of it as works of biblical art. It's not so much a, a, a book for just obedience and, and right belief, although those things can be an important part of, of what we do. Really what we're doing is creating lives that are works of art and continuing this improvisation idea with the Bible. So on a scale of 1 to 10 of how much I like what you just said, I'm at like 100. <laughs> that, that is so much kindred to uh, everything that I write about, what, the reason we created the Jesus-centered Bible, the reason we created mm. Pierced in connection with Biblica, was to carry forward the story. And, and I was just having a conversation with somebody today about um, Jesus' emphasis on how great it was going to be when he left with his disciples. He spent an inordinate amount of time trying to convince his closest friends that they were in for the uh, the greatest gift of their life if he would leave, because when he left, the Spirit would come, and the whole relationship would move from an outside-in relationship, uh, because Jesus had flesh. He was flesh and blood. He could not be inside them. Um, but the Spirit could be. And this movement—I love biblical improvisation. I love that. It presupposes that we are guided by the Spirit of Jesus, which uh, I think a lot of people feel like um, everything Jesus says and does stopped with the accounts of what He says and does in the Bible. And if you say, but no, the the whole point of Him going away was to be so that we could be led by His Spirit in an improvisational way in our life, that scares people. I mean, it scares people to when they start thinking of this whole relationship being um, not extra biblical, but continuing the story as you as you just as you just described. What is it do you think that scares us about this? Yeah, there's a kind of safety if you think of the Bible as containing all the exact right answers that we have today to every question, then there's a kind of a safety in this bound book, this printed page. Now, I love the Bible as much as anybody, but I have to say what we're really looking for is this dynamic relationship with God that is lived fully in the time that we, we live. And he's given us all these resources. We have the, the Bible itself, which is, I like to think of it as the script of the story so far. It goes as far as it goes in the story. It gives us all that we need, along with the help of the Holy Spirit, to continue that story today. The Spirit itself is the same Spirit who inspired that book. So there's this great dynamic relationship between Spirit and text, and, and they work together, and they work together today, so that when we, when we get immersed in the story so much, we're marinating in it, 
were just living in it deeply, always reading whole books, feasting on the Bible, and then putting them together, seeing how they fit together, and, and again, everything through the Jesus lens. The Old Testament, not just the prophecies about Jesus, but the whole storyline, everything is read through the Jesus lens. Then we understand the Bible and how, it, how those, all those different kind of books work together. And I think what scares people is that there's just a, there's a dynamic openness there, and that can feel frightening. But at the end of the day, isn't that what it means to be human? We don't, we don't want to have every answer just written out for us verbatim. I mean, robots could, could do that. What we are is we're, we're amazing creatures made in the image of God to be significant people who interact with him in the world. And we make judgment calls because, because our imaginations are biblically shaped. God trusts us with that. He expects us to be grown-up people, not people who have to be told every little step of every little day. So I think part of it is just an acceptance of Christian maturity in God's world and being an image-bearing creature, and he, he doesn't want to tell us everything in detail. He wants us to be free creatures who do well based on everything he's given to help us. Yeah, I think, I, I, again, I agree so much with what you're saying, Glenn. I think you could you could go a step further even and say that it's unbiblical to think of Jesus contained only in the Bible. It's unbiblical because he said mm. that's not how it is. Uh, he, he, he made an express point to say that once he leaves, the Spirit comes, then it's a guided in an every-moment way. I, I love something that Paul said. He was such a firebrand, but I can't remember what references it is. You might you might remember it, but at one point he's defending himself uh, to I think it's the Corinthians. He's defending himself to, and he basically said, "I don't even think about whether I'm sinning or not, or whether I'm right or wrong. I just do what the Spirit, what I feel the Spirit leads me to do, and the Spirit will tell me if I'm screwing up. Right. Um, I'm not fixated on myself, trying to manage myself all the time, but I am fixated on the Spirit." and the Spirit will let me know if I've screwed up. Well, that is a radical statement. <laughs> Within the context of even of what you're describing, yep. it, it's an unsafe statement, and but it's actually the life we've been called to live. Yeah, there's this great, great line in the, in the Book of Acts, in the Jerusalem Council that meets, and they're struggling with this question, Gentiles are becoming believers in Jesus. What do we do with them? How much of the law do they have to obey? What's What's the deal with this, this new people coming into the movement? And at the end of their letter, they say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And I thought, you know what? That captures biblical improvisation. Um, we, we know the story. We know, we know where it's been. We know the text. We're, we're deeply committed to being you know, people who read the text with understanding. Um, but we're in this dynamic moment. And things change over time. So we're in relationship with Jesus through the Spirit. And when we meet, we pray, we gather, we read the text. Um, they reference an Old Testament text in that letter to the Gentiles about what to do. But they make a new decision about what to do, and they say it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That's, that gets at what, what our new relationship is with the Bible, with Jesus, and, and through the Spirit in this, these later acts in the great story of God. So give me an idea, Glenn, of as you lean into this more and more, and I, I, uh, I know that you've been doing this for quite a while now, what is your hunch 
um, as you move forward that uh, that the future can hold for people becoming more engaged with with this for the purpose of living their biblical biblically improvised life. Uh, what what is your hunch about the way forward with this? My yeah, I maybe I'm just an optimist. That's what my friends tell me. But I I think this is a great moment for the Bible. I think people are bored out of their minds with the modernistic models of Bible engagement that they've been they've been introduced to. I think we've we've lacked an imagination of introducing people into really exciting ways to read and understand the Bible and and this this vision of biblical improvisation. When people hear about this, when they see, I mean, the first step is getting people a format that's readable, that that actually honors the kinds of writings we have, songs that look like songs, letters that look like letters. Our Bibles should reflect these different kinds of literary writing in the Bible. And that's they get excited just seeing that, like, wow, I can actually read the text now. But then if they're given a new model for Bible engagement, for living the Bible, I think people are ready for this. So I think... You know, there's this kind of burned-out, modernistic, old-school way of, of using the Bible as a reference book. And I th- it's I mean, it's got 500 years of experience behind it now. It's not going to change overnight. But I'm really excited because I think people are ready. The reception of these new readers' editions has been tremendous. I think they're going to grow. Um, and I think people are ready for a new model of Bible engagement. Young people in particular have been checking out of the Bible, really trying to live a Bibleless Christianity, and I think the moment is ripe for a new model to be accepted, and, and now's the time, because the old one has failed. So let me ask you this final question. Uh, if, you, if, if you see success in the way you're dreaming right now, what do you hope happens as a result of that success to uh, the people who are caught up in it, what do you th- what do you hope happens in their life? Yeah, I think the Bible was given to us for a purpose. It's part of the mission of God in the world. I think when Bible reading doesn't happen, when Bible understanding fails, then the Bible fails to reach the mission for which God sent it into the world. And so, what the other side of that is, if we can rediscover this book on its own terms which is better than an encyclopedia or a dictionary ever was, then, then we can rediscover the real Bible. It can fulfill its rightful role in our Christian communities. I think we're used to having these private, quiet times. I say maybe our average experiences should be community-based. The book was written to communities. All those yous in the New Testament are plural. They're not singular. So what if we rediscover a whole new series of Bible practices that just make the Bible seem like a natural book. Um, I I think the Christian community can get biblically re-engaged, and when the biblical community is formed in this kind of way, then I think the church will be a healthier, stronger church. We can can be the kind of force in the world that we're meant to be, a light to a different kind of life. Um, We can point people to Jesus. And I think all of this is, is lying in front of us, even as we're struggling with with the Bible and with the Christian life in so many days in this difficult world. Yeah, you know, I'm just thinking as I led our team in creating the the Jesus-centered Bible, um, and then as it was released and people, it, it was like nothing that people had seen before, and mm. and uh, and people started asking us strange questions like, 
well, why do we need a Bible uh, that's Jesus-centered? Isn't the Bible about Jesus? What are you doing with this that makes mm-hmm. it Jesus-centered? And, and I said, all we're doing is highlighting how it already is mm-hmm. Jesus-centered, because it, the, the highlighting has gotten lost. People, it, it's exactly what you're saying, Glenn, people have forgotten how to read this story and what the story is about and and why the Old Testament and New Testament are inextricably connected um, as long as you see this story as centering on Jesus. And, and, and people would ask us, well, wow, isn't that, uh, you know, overvaluing one member of the Trinity? And my response always is, well, that's not my idea. The Father said, there's my son, listen to him. And the Spirit's job description is to help us understand Him. So yeah. the Trinity already decided that this was going to be out, be about Jesus. So we're just kind of climbing on board with the, <laughs> with the Trinity's existing strategy. So yeah, I love exactly. I love how you talk about the, reclaiming the narrative so that the what the story is about is clear. Because I think the it's unintended, but it's also insidious that the way that we have restructured the Bible and have um, recalculated how we're going to read it, and especially how we listen to pastors preach about it on Sunday mornings, that it has turned it into a, uh, a, a sort of a, a cavalcade of snippets that support topical ways for us to try harder to be better people. Exactly. And, and instead, we've lost the power of what the, the narrative is really all about. So, I, I mean, I, I, we're just fully behind the direction that you're going here, and I know people must sometimes say to you, like you just said, wow, you're overly optimistic or you're an idealist, but, you know, uh, what I hear is mission and passion for the truth. So um, we really appreciate all the work that you're doing, Glenn. Any Anything last that I, I didn't ask you about that you want to throw in there at the end here? Well, I think, I mean, we've covered the heart of it. I, I think um, it just comes down to saying, do I, do I trust the Bible the way God gave it to us? Do I trust the actual kind of book he gave us? And apparently, with all these different books gathered together, um, he meant for somehow this ancient story to be exactly what we need, even in our world. Well, the only way to do that is to accept the Bible honestly as the kind of book it is. And, and as the story progresses, we can see things aren't perfect. God is struggling with people but he struggles with them all along in order to bring them to the place that he has in mind at the end. And the story is happening, and I think it's the best thing in the world to just say, look, I'm not going to take little pieces of the Bible and try to fit it into my life. What the Bible wants is for my entire life to fit into its ongoing story. So it just turns the table on us and says, like, I don't know where you think you're getting the story of your life from. Is it from your culture? You know, what what story do you think you're living? Hmm. The Bible says we have one on offer here. So, so this is the best story in the world. Live this story, and then you'll find what you were really made for. We just have to get, get back to a—it's really not a new version or vision of the Bible. It's really recovering the vision that was there from the start, but has been glossed over and covered over through centuries of, of different ideas. So I see this as really going back to the kind of vision that God had when he put the Bible together in the first place. All right, so I I think you can pick up on how excited I was talking to Glenn Powell. <laughs> I just, you know when you meet somebody who has a kindred spirit, 
who says things that you think, and you often feel like, I'm the, I'm the only one, I think in a weird way or whatever, and you find someone who's as passionate in the same direction as you are, it's just deeply encouraging. And he also said some things that, for me, were like, wow, did you just say that? So, Becky, um, uh, what are some things that jumped out at you? Let's let's just go, uh, you know, kind of rapid fire through some of the things that jumped out to us from this interview. So, one thing that was kind of running in my head, and it's this is actually something that's been running in my head for like a year now, is I'm I, I consider myself like a bit the big sister of the millennial generation. I'm <laughs> one of the first years of the millennials, depending on which study you're reading, and I have. I have five sisters, so and they're all the way like 10, 12 years younger than me. So like I literally am the big sister of the millennial generation. And um, one there, there's lots of things that are trending with millennials, and one of them is that they're going back to old stuff. So they, they like the old version. They like records. They like paper books. They, they want things to be super nice, but they, they're going back to the old. And, and it's bothering me that we're seeing this in all other areas, but they're not reading the Bible. So they're not going back to old in that um, way. And then the other thing is, and we've talked about this before, that teenagers today are pushed to the limits academically. They are reading really advanced stuff in in their classes, and they're being asked to think advanced thoughts about those things. And so it's curious to me that you hear so often that it's boring, and I don't understand it. It's hard to read from these student, these teenagers who are like it extremely being pushed to be advanced academically, as was my generation. So it bothers me a little bit, but so that was one of the thoughts that kind of was noodling in my brain the whole time that I was listening to that. Yeah, and you know, uh, he said something right off the bat that that uh, kind of flows into what you're saying right now, Becky. That is uh, that is profound. That he uh, and he reiterated it at the end. He's talking about how this morphing of the story of God in the Bible, when it, when the structure was added to it to make it easier to reference, it changed the medium of the Bible when it did that. He called it a 500-year experiment that has a lot of traction. I mean, this is the way we've seen the Bible. So we by putting chapters and verses into it that weren't there in the original, for good reasons, for practical reasons, we've also changed how we engage it, and we've changed the what we think it is because of that. And, and he's basically saying, I think people have run out of gas in approaching the Bible as a reference book or an answer book or a user's manual, because they're just being honest. It doesn't directly answer all of the issues that I'm facing in life. And if, so if it's a user's manual, am I just not you know getting the right reference, or how, how is this supposed to work anyway? And in a way, it's, it's people being more honest mm-hmm. about their experience of it in that context of a reference book. And so he's trying to reclaim the Bible for what it really is, which is the story of God with Jesus at the center. And uh, I I think uh, the thing that stuck out to me that was just a new phrase, but I just loved it so much, I think you can tell that from how I reacted to it, is this phrase he used, biblical improvisation, Mm -hmm. where we combine our knowledge of the story, so we understand the story just the way Paul was trying to help the Gentiles understand the story of God because they had never learned it before. So Paul's helping them to understand the story that came before them, and now encouraging them to live the story forward. And that's by necessity 
an improvisational thing because we're being led by the Spirit as we do this. And it's not a scary thing, it's an exciting thing. We have a, a young person in our uh, small group who's not a believer, and he's going. He's he's about to leave in just six weeks or so, uh, and he's eventually going to become a Navy SEAL. That's that's his goal. And my wife asked him in the kitchen the other night, "Why are you wanting to do this? This dangerous, difficult thing?" And he said, "I'm just hungry for an adventure. Mm-hmm. I am bored." with the expectations that this culture has for teenagers. I'm bored with it. I feel dulled by it. I want something I can sink my teeth into. And Bev said, wow, the the story of God is the biggest, most epic adventure there is. Talk about sinking your teeth into something. This is the very thing that somebody like that guy in our group should be drawn to in the sense that we give them the sense that you're part of this grand story a life of biblical improvisation, and yet that's not the message that he's gotten so far from the church. So we're trying to plant that idea in this group that the Bible is a guide, it's, a, it's our, our greatest gift in the church, um, it reveals Jesus to us, but it's only the start of that relationship. So if you didn't tune in to last week's, we did, we just took some time to apply the uh, some lenses to the Bible. And what we did is we actually read the Bible in an improv way, and we did it as kind of like community. Um, and I think that's a great way to get other people interested. I think we would be surprised how many people who wouldn't call themselves Christians or aren't Christians, they aren't believers, whatever you, you know, ter- term you want to use. If you said to them, hey, would you be interested in just getting together um, and reading the Bible with me if you had a relationship? They might actually be interested in doing that. And and by reading it aloud and then offering time for critical analysis of it together openly, I think that that could actually um, be a great way to engage with people in the Bible, especially teenagers. Yeah, and uh, I'll say one last thing that stuck out to me that kind of flows out of that. He said, a way to describe our life is that they become works of biblical art. Mm -hmm. Wow, I just love that Mm -hmm. so much. God is at his heart an artist, and our lives are our greatest work of art. And what would it be like to live a life that we could say, look back on it and say, that was a biblical work of art, meaning... We knew the story, we had ingested it, and the focus of that story, who is Jesus, so much so that we continued the story in our own environment, in our workplace, at our school, when we're playing uh, Frisbee golf after in the evening, and whatever we're doing, we're living into that story, and our lives become a, an example of biblical art. He's saying... The purpose of knowing the story is that it's so ingested, it becomes like music to you. You can play the notes because you know the music so well, and the notes you're playing are improvised now. You're using the notes you've been given in the Bible, but you're you're playing a new song. It's it's like the psalmist saying, um, it, uh, sing a new song. It's I, I can't remember what psalm that is, but you too turned it into a whole song. They turned that psalm, sing a new song, into a, into a song, and it's almost a, a kind of a, a, a passionate cry for living our lives like they were a work of art.
So we are wrapping up what we named Bible Month. I don't think it actually is Bible Month, but we called it Bible Month. No, we just called it Bible Month yeah, and we it just, was Bible Month. We so. just told everyone it was Bible Month and they believed us. But yeah, we, we're wrapping up Bible Month. Um, if, if, you have, if you're just joining us for the first time or if you've missed a couple episodes, you can go back. We've been focusing um, specifically on the Bible. Um, how to read it, how to love it, how to experience it. Um, and so, you know, can go back um, in time as, as kind of an end to this. I'd like to put out a little challenge. One of the things that he said in the interview was how the Bible is actually meant. Uh, most people give Bibles as a gift. Um, and we know a lot of you read the Jesus centered Bible. Um, you already have one, you love it. You use it all the time. You tell us all about it. And so this is my next challenge to you is the reason why we created the the Jesus Center Bible is because we wanted to create a more engaging reading experience of the Bible. And we did it because we know about these problems and we're, we're, we're looking at these problems and we want to help other people who are bored by the Bible get really engaged with it. So we want to challenge you, go buy a couple Bibles, like four Bibles and keep them in your car. And we want to challenge you this week as you're driving around and you're praying and you're just living your life to be praying about who you should give those Bibles to. So that's our challenge to you. The other really cool thing I'm excited to announce is we've now been doing this for about six months and we want to further engage with our listeners who are dedicated to the show. So on this episode, you can sign up um, to be, we, we don't have a name for them. Our, oh, we'll think of it. Our we'll just call them, we'll call them the awesome. innators. You're the Becky. You're, you're the Becky Nader. The Jesus Naders. <laughs> I don't know. We'll work on it. It's a working title. So, um, wh- what we're going to do is we're going to engage with you in a different way. We're going to kind of like tell you about stuff first. Rick wants to pick your brain um, about some things. Um, in fact, he's got a survey already um, that he's going to tell you about in one second. As soon as I stop talking, that he wants to get you to take with him. And then we'll also just send you random other stuff. Like who knows? I might just send you like a pair of shoelaces, or I don't know. It, you, a devotion. Something might just pop in the mail randomly. We'll just randomly pick someone every month. Becky is a very generous person. <laughs> we'll just Watch give out. you something. It, who knows? We want to be closer in relationship with you, and so um, we want to ask you to sign up for that. Yeah, and that's, in a way, it's kind of completing the loop. Um, you know, it, when you listen to this, uh, I know from my own experience of listening to things like this, you, you develop a relationship. You feel like you know know the people, and what what if you could complete that loop? That that's what we want to do. And Becky mentioned this survey. I'm I'm working on something right now that I'll tell you about later this year. What uh, more about what it is? But I'm working on something right now where I'm trying to put together a, a way of um, answering a few questions that can help you kind of self assess your own maturity level as a disciple of Jesus. It, it kind of gives you feedback on w- where are you at on the road, and I'm, I'm working on this, and, and uh, if, you're, if you sign up for this, I would love to be able to, to give you this sort of self-assessment. You'd be some of the first people in the world to take it. We just want to gather as much feedback as we can about people's experiences of growing in Jesus. So so please do sign up for it. Um, I, I'd love to send that out to you. And again, thank you so much for listening. We, we love you guys and appreciate um, how passionate you are and how kindred you are to, to all that we're doing here. And if this is your first time listening, we do encourage you to go, go back onto our Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus uh, podcast site and check out some of the previous uh, episodes. So, And remember, also, you can find out more information about this particular episode 
but in further details on the JesusCenteredLife.com, including a link to Glenn's organization that we'll put up there. So this is, again, Season 2, Episode 12 of Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, which is a podcast from Lifetree. You could subscribe to us on iTunes for all of the latest podcasts, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye.